This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Hour. I'm your host, Charlene Lincoln, and um, today I have a very special guest, Dr. Scott Martin, and um, I'll introduce him in a second. I... um, I'm, I'm very active on, on YouTube and um, I love to, you know, kind of explore around and see what other um, fertility experts are talking about. So I came across Dr. Scott and he was talking about AMH. And of course, you know, um, that's a big discussion in the fertility world. Uh, and it's, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. A, a lot of women and couples um, get diagnosed with low AMH and it becomes an extremely stressful diagnosis. Um, because um, a lot of people interpret it as, oh, um, and, you know, unless I can somehow increase AMH, I, I might not ever, you know, have a child or whatever. So we want to discuss um, about AMH, what is it, when is it important, and um, what has <clears throat> Dr. Scott found in his uh, clinical, you know, findings and working with different clients. So let me, um, sorry, let me pull up your, your bio here. Usually have it more prepared, but we kind of got this over in the last minute. Let me get it going here. Dr. Scott Martin is a registered practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine in Australia. He started TCM back in 2001 and has gone on to start Australian Natural Fertility and is the head of research and development for advanced fertility solutions. He is also the developer of OVANTS a Chinese medicine formula that can assist with the treatment of low AMH levels. Fertility has been a strong focus of Scott's since 2009, and today he is very happy to be on the show. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Welcome. Thank you, Charlene. Thank you very much. Okay, so, um, you know, talk to us. You've been, you know, in the fertility world for quite some time, working with clients, and you saw that, this was um, something that was coming up for women, right? They were getting diagnosed with low AMH. So let's talk about, um, I don't know how this formula came about, what, what you've learned about AMH, you know, anything you want to share with us to, to kind of educate us on this topic. Sure, Charlene. Thank you very much. Uh, I suppose I should, I should start with where it started. I, I was my clinic. Uh, in the Whit Sundays in Central Queensland, Australia, it's not a very large area, but uh, fortunately, we've got a, a strong clientele here. Uh, we found that you know the local IVF clinic started using the AMH test to help women understand further uh, what might be the problem with their fertility issues. And so, I've, you know, certainly how IVF uses low AMH levels, it's almost a death sentence for a woman's eggs success rates for using IVF women with low AMH levels are problematic to begin with with very low success rates and so women are coming uh, clearly very upset being told perhaps that they can't have their own children that they need to use a donor egg and certainly that IVF is the only chance they have of falling pregnant and failure rates of course are very high and so my office started filling up with women with low AMH levels that couldn't fall pregnant and wanted a solution um, and so uh, being a scientifically minded person, we like getting before and after scientific data. This is certainly what I feel is, is proof that things work, apart from, of course, women saying that they can't have babies and then all of a sudden being pregnant. Uh, you know, like I think all of us, it, it makes us realize, oh, well, we're onto something here. And so um, I don't want to get too much into Chinese medicine jargon because I think it can boggle the brain a little bit, but we've got to. We've got a thing we call uh, pre-heaven essence or, or jing. And basically, I'd like to relate to that as our overall vitality. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're like, yes, so full of energy, I'm ready to go, I can take on the world, it's great. And then other days you wake up and it's like, oh, please, roll me over, put me back to bed. I don't think I can deal with this. And so our, our vitality, our energy levels can vary day to day. And, you know, some months, 
certainly in, in summer here, everyone's filled full of energy and running around and in winter, everyone hiding and staying warm and keeping out of the cold. And so I think with our vitality and how we feel, this varies on a day-to-day basis. Now, for some people who are very tired, run down, worn out, uh, you know, their job, they're not having a good time with their job, they're not having a good time with their life, they're unhappy, they don't like where they're living, they have all of these stresses and pressures and challenges that drain their energy and vitality on a day-to-day basis. This can be a really big problem for fertility as well. And so when we look at how another person's vitality and how they feel, we refer to this as Jing. And in Chinese medicine, it's Jing, this vitality, which we suggest is stored between the kidneys, is, um, is what goes on to form sperm and what goes on to form eggs and most specifically the quality and the vitality of them as a chinese medicine practitioner you'd be familiar with pre-heavenescence and jing charlie and i imagine yes yeah and so what we discovered is there was a a study done it was on men and on their uh, sperm quality and they got 10 men and tested their sperm count twice a week for 18 months and one of the extraordinary things they found across the board all of these men that their sperm count could vary incredibly. Some men could fertilize the entire state with, you know, with one go, and then other times be clinically infertile. And they discovered that the variations of men's sperm count over that time varied so much that there was no real, uh, no apparent rhyme or reason why they would vary so much. And so thinking that even though men and women are clearly very different, clearly are also very, very much alike. And even though we know it's testosterone versus estrogen that differentiates a lot of male and female hormones, the actual processes that go towards growing our egg quality and our overall fertile health are in essence, I'd suggest the same and can be influenced in the same way. And so there was a formula that we'd used that we knew that would improve sperm count in men, but in Chinese medicine, certainly in the herbal medicine, we realize that men and women are different and we like to suggest that men are more yang by nature and tend to use more fiery and warming herbs and women are yin by nature and tend to enjoy um, cooling herbs. And so we adapted formula uh, a little, tweaked a little for it to be more female friendly and started prescribing it to women with low AMH levels, hoping that in fact it could assist with raising those levels, but most importantly, it was designed to help improve egg quality so that women could, in fact, have their own eggs and grow their own eggs once again. And so we started started handing out this formula uh, and uh, the results came back. Yes, it was, it was working. Women were falling pregnant. Um, we started getting before and after blood serum tests, to make, uh, analyses to make sure that, you know, what, what in fact was going on. We discovered that there was a rise in... AMH levels for them and taking this, and most importantly, um, some of them are falling pregnant, which was which was wonderful news, and everyone was very happy. And so, I suppose that's how that's how the formula came about. It took a bit of tweaking, it took a little bit of imagination, but it worked, which was which was wonderful. And uh, and that's and that's where we got started, and that's where we started uh, testing it on more people, I suppose. Uh, prescribing it to more people and as more results came in we realized that uh, it's, it seemed to be uh, effective in many instances and women were getting rises in that and having natural pregnancy rates so it was a it was certainly a wonderful time we were very happy to help the help the local people and now we're uh, helping people on a far larger scale um, were most of these what, like what was the percentage of women who were trying to naturally conceive versus um, go the IVF route? I think where we leave uh, Western medicine certainly the dominant medicine, and so I was finding you know obviously if a woman has an AMH diagnosis, she's been to a gynecologist and has been running through the modern medicine system for some time, and so the people that I was seeing tended not to be people that I was the first port of call. In fact, um, where I am, my practice has pretty much been the, the, the last, last thing people try. One of the most common things I have, I've heard for years and years is, oh, I've tried absolutely everything and now I'm willing to give anything a go. And uh, it's, it's nice to, um, 
it's nice to still be able to help people at that state. And so, to be honest, most of the people that come and see me have already had some kind of uh, infertility diagnosis, and they've already had those that uh, those tests done by the gynecologist, and most of them have failed um, the IVF system, which was something that really it, it distressed me because obviously, you know, when when somebody comes into your office and they've been told, oh, "I can't have my own baby," or "My eggs won't fertilize," uh, I've tried three, four rounds of IVF and nothing's working. Can you help me? That's it's a challenging scenario, and my heart really goes out for the women in these circumstances. And I re- I honestly felt that the information that was available for women under these circumstances, I, I didn't think it was. Uh, it was very helpful. It really gave him a lot of hope. I, I, I think if it, it, I, I respect the fact that modern gynecologists and that are extremely well trained in their field of, uh, of modern medicine, but also at the same time, they don't have, they have very little, if no training at all in anything outside of modern medicine, pharmaceuticals and surgery, which are of course very, very powerful agents. But when they in fact don't work anymore or are unable to produce results that women are after then they have to turn it's up to them to find something else to help them out and respectfully and unfortunately they tend to be the least qualified people to know where to go if western medicine has failed them and so as a chinese medicine practitioner and i'm sure you know you know we both had to study western medicine modern medicine while doing our chinese medicine degrees and so we're fortunate to know both worlds and to be able to help people under those circumstances uh, is, a, is a wonderful thing. You know, we were, we were discussing briefly before, um, you know, like, like I was saying in the introduction, you know, that is a big stressor for women. Um, but one thing that I really want to emphasize, uh, Dr. Eva Keen, who I work with um, at the Natural Fertility Prescription, you know, that question gets asked all the time. What do I do to increase low AMH? If you're trying to conceive naturally, um, honestly, we have found many women, when they focus on egg quality, um, they are able to conceive and have healthy babies. Um, but it, it is when you go the IVF route. So say you cho- choose that path and you get diagnosed with a low AMH. I mean, depending on how low it is, they're probably going to recommend donor eggs, right? And if you're not a good candidate for donor eggs, then I mean, then IVF is just going to be off the table for you. So that's the population that you really helped. And, and that's amazing because, um, I mean, it, it makes me, yeah, it makes me very, uh, you know, curious to, to learn more about the Chinese formulation. And um, is there any kind of contraindications? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it probably can't help all women across the board. Have you found that there's a certain um, situation where it doesn't help versus, you know, where, where it would be more beneficial for a woman? Sure. Certainly, I think the, the further the distance between the AMH levels and the FSH levels seems to be much harder. And I think once FSH has risen significantly and is well above the 30s and 50s, uh, that it's harder and harder for the formulas to work. And so say if, uh, if we're talking in NGML, if a woman comes in and she's got uh, 0.5 or 0.2 NGML and her FSH is still sitting under 20, then that's certainly a lot easier to help than a woman with similar levels of, say, 0.5 or 0.1 NGML uh, with levels of 30, 50 and above. That seems to be uh, the, the, the crux that we've found further the distance between AMH and FSH. The harder it is for the formulas to get the job and to return the eggs back to fertile health. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and what about like when a woman does go through an IVF cycle, um, uh, like kind of what, what's your um, treatment protocol for helping a woman kind of get back into balance after that? Because I know that, you know, that's something that's not really talked about a lot, but a lot of women experience it. It's quite hard on the body to kind of go through a Absolutely. round of IVF or, or several rounds in, in, you know, a lot of cases. And so talk to me about that. Sure. Uh, I suppose I'm really big on preparation. The reason why women end up at IVF clinics typically is because they have a fertility problem. One of the challenges that we have is if those fertility problems are unable to be treated, then they go through, they take the IVF drugs, 
and they're treated in essence almost the same as every other woman that goes in. So if you've got poor egg quality or you've got normal egg quality, you'll still get very similar or the same drugs as somebody with, with fine egg quality. And I think for me, the biggest challenge is that if your body is struggling to grow you one good quality egg per cycle, then how's it supposed to grow you five or 10? And I think this is, this is a really big crux of the issue is if, as you know, there's usually about 20 antral follicles in the woman's ovary at any given time. This is certainly for a woman with a healthy egg count. And the dominant follicle is always going to be the number one and the best quality. The number two follicle will always be number two and the best quality as well, and three and four and so on. The egg that's number 10 in the row is not going to be a wonderful egg. It's not going to help. And so by trying to harvest many eggs out of a woman undergoing IVF with low AMH levels, this is a very, very difficult thing to do. If it's not going to grow you one properly, how is it supposed to grow you five or ten? It just doesn't seem to work. And so I think the challenges is with the gonadotropin hormones that they typically use and the growth hormones um, that tend to be FSH-dominated. What it's shown is that, yes, it can help a woman harvest more eggs in the short term, but uh, in the long term, it actually lowers serum AMH levels. And there was a 2014 study that actually showed that stimulated IVF cycles on women with low AMH levels, in fact, further lowered AMH levels, which is why I think it's very common that a woman with low AMH will go in, she'll do a stimulated cycle. Typically, a woman with less than five eggs from a stimulated cycle is put into a low ovarian reserve, diminished ovarian reserve, or low AMH diagnosis. And the next time they'll go and stimulate her and she'll get less eggs. And the next time she'll get less eggs. And it's very, very common that repeated stimulated cycles of IVF will actually lower AMH levels and women will get poorer and poorer quality eggs every time, which is a really big problem, uh, especially when doctors are suggesting that AMH is the only treatment to help them. But in fact, if that treatment doesn't work in the short term, then long-term outcomes of it are, uh, are even worse. Are, uh, are the women that you consult with, are they, are they aware of this um, possible outcome of... They, I'd suggest not. Yeah, because it's... I mean, they're intelligent women, but they're just sort of overwhelmed and um, become sort of kind of hyper-focused on the end result of, of trying to get this done. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they signed a waiver somewhere, you know, in the paperwork. Or, you know, I mean, honestly, right? It's it, we, yeah. we sign away crazy stuff all the time without really reading the fine details because I think women are are pretty disheartened when they feel like, uh, of course, by harvesting um, that many embryos, that it sometimes can lead to premature ovarian failure or um, yes, you know, a, a different things. Even um, women who freeze their eggs, because I remember. As a person, you know, I had my baby at 42 and in my 30s, I was like, oh, should I freeze mm. my eggs? Not really thinking of um, the repercussions of that. Um, you just think, oh, I need to just freeze my eggs and it should be fine. Um, yes. Then that could be problematic as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, I, I think part of your treatment protocol also is just helping a woman become balanced again after going throughout <clears throat> the IVF. And, and is it ever like... Uh, do women come into your clinic who, because um, I had a conversation um, with Dr. Lara Bryden. I think she's from Australia too. She did the period repair manual. Um, and she yep. was saying kind of a thing that happens is um, women are on the birth control pill, you know, sometimes 10, 20 years, and then they, um, and they get off it and, and they're not able to ovulate right away because they've been on synthetic hormones for years and years yeah. and years. And then they go right into consulting with a fertility clinic, which is actually just an IVF clinic. And then they start um, seeing if they are a good candidate for IVF. So, you know, they never get a chance really. It's kind of like the synthetic hormones and then, Oh, you're not ovulating right away. Let's go this route. And it's, um, I don't know. It's, it, it's sad a little bit, but but do you see women Absolutely. who you kind of go, well, you don't really have to go the I, I'm, the IVF route. I mean, we can try to get your body balanced so that you can <clears throat> do this naturally. I mean, there's there's some cases right where um, 
the, the partner's missing vas deferens or the fallopian tubes are yes. blocked where yes, there's just no other way. But there's a lot of situations yep. where um, women don't need IVF, right? I mean, yes, yeah. I, I agree. Uh, and, and just like you said, if there's some physical obstruction, if there's that prevents a woman from falling pregnant, like you've had two ectopic pregnancies and you don't have fallopian tubes anymore, or, you know, the husband needs to have his sperm aspirated directly from the testicle because they can't get, they can't get any semen out, then, yeah, absolutely. But I, one of the things that I'm really proud of with, with certainly with Chinese medicine, I can't speak, I won't speak for other modalities because that's not my training, but I'll certainly speak for, uh, for Chinese medicine, is the ability to solve problems at the root is a real feather in the cap of Chinese medicine. And so much like you don't wake up one morning feeling wanting to get healthy and feeling a bit overweight, chuck your running shoes on and go and run a marathon. That's a really good way to uh, stall your training <laughs> and never run a marathon. But you build up to it and you go and you do the training and you do the work and you do the effort. And then after a certain period of time, yes, it's possible for almost anyone to go and run a marathon if they put the correct effort in. Now, if women are suffering infertility, but try don't actually address the problems of the primary infertility, what's causing the infertility in the first place, then yeah, it's it's far less likely. Fertility treatments are far less likely to work. And so, if you've got endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, low AMH levels, all these different sorts of things that some can be assisted through surgery in modern medicine, absence of period, amenorrhea, dark menstrual flow solid rusty menstrual flow no menstrual flow at all these don't seem to necessarily um, be things that the IVF medicines address and they go straight in for stimulating the eggs harvesting the eggs fertilizing and popping back in I think uh, one of the things I think with low AMH it reminds me it's like we've all done popcorn we've all made popcorn and you're eating the popcorn it's great and you have a look in the bottom and there's these kernels that just haven't popped they look the same as every other kernel that you tried to pop, but these ones don't. I think this is the same with low AMH levels as well. Is that women, yes, they ovulate normally. Yes, it looks like their eggs are growing normally, but they just won't fertilize. They just won't pop like that popcorn. And I think that if women do the proper preparation for their fertility, when they, once they know they've got a problem, yes, we've been diagnosed with a problem, do the correct training, do the correct groundwork, prepare yourself deal with the issues that you have, and then go off and do IVF. I think if IVF were far more successful at dealing with the array of gynecological problems that women can present with, certainly after 10, 15, 20 years of synthetic hormone manipulation with the contraceptive pill, um, <clears throat> things are much more likely to work. And uh, this, is, this is something I, I'm really, really big on is yeah, do the work, prepare yourself before you go off and do it. You're going to save a fortune and you'll authentically be able to boost the IVF success rates by that. But also at the same time, is if your body's having a hard time running you, it doesn't have enough energy to grow your baby. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's pretty simple. It takes a lot of energy to grow a baby. It takes an enormous amount of energy. And for most women, we've already discovered, it's not up to you whether you get pregnant or not. In fact, your body will decide it for you. And you can't fool it. Your body has to grow the baby. You don't. You just have to put yourself to sleep, eat properly, and try not to exhaust yourself too much. It's your body that does all the baby growing. It's, it says, yes, this is the right sperm. Yes, this is the right time to grow it. And so if you're out of whack, if your body's out of whack, if your mind, if your heart, if your life is all out, there's a good, good example. Someone who's in a house, they've been trying to renovate their house for five years. It's stuck. It's not going anywhere. They don't like their job. There's, things are strained and stressful with their husband because of the ongoing fertility problems and most days you're just unhappy they're, they're, that's a huge drain on the body on the, on the mind, the emotions and a person's life and it's much harder to fall pregnant under these circumstances because it's not just the body that's out of whack it's life, it's the heart and so for women with long term infertility and there's a few I've helped in about 7 years and we've actually found that helping them with their house and helping them with, with things that are going on in their life and finding things that are stuck in their life or stuck in their house, um, we suggest fix it up. Uh, a really good example is um, I had a lady, seven years, she spent about $100,000, excuse me, on IVF treatments. But she knew more about 
reproductive technology than I did because she'd done it all. Mm. Naturopaths, she'd literally done everything that was possible. And she comes into my clinic with her husband and says, can you help us? And I couldn't make them any promises. I really couldn't say much at all. Uh, uh, but I said, look, if you want me to do my want me to do my treatment, I'll do it for you. Um, but I won't promise you anything. How, how could I under those circumstances? <clears throat> anyway, they said, we'll give it three months and um, see how we go. So anyway, three months came and went. No surprise, she wasn't pregnant. Uh, but she decided to keep coming back fortnightly. And I said to her, I was like, what's in your baby's room? She's like, what do you mean? I said, well, where the baby's going to go? What's in that room? And she's like, oh, it's just, it's just filled full of stuff, you know, things that we've forgotten about, things we haven't dealt with. But basically, it's just full of junk. I was like, oh, all right, fair enough. And I said, well, what is it you love doing? I really wanted to connect her. She was sad, you know, seven years of wanting to have this child and eluding her. You can imagine how, how upset she was, how her mindset was over this. And so I wanted to connect her back with something that she really loved. And she's like, painting, I love painting. I was like, great, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, I want you to clean up that room. I want you to get everything out of it and make that room perfect, like it's ready to receive a child. And I want you to set up an easel in there and start painting. Anyway, yeah, she took my advice. And two weeks later, she came back. She was just this completely different person. I was, almost didn't recognize her. It was, the transformation was incredible. And I was like, how are you doing? She says, oh, I'm painting again. I feel so happy. It's great. It's so nice that all that stuff in that room, there's sorted out. And I could just see this change, this shift in her. And four weeks later, she was pregnant. Miracle. It was marvellous. Mm-hmm. So I authentically think that when it comes to long-term infertility, that there's so much more going on. We all know that women have emotional and mental blocks when they haven't been able to fall pregnant for a long time. And if you're able to find things and in people's houses and in people's lives that can help shift that mental state, help shift that emotional state and bring their lives and their heart and their mind and their lives back into balance, then the body will follow. And under those circumstances, people are far more likely to fall pregnant. And that's something that you can't pick up on a blood test or you can't get, you can't get a diagnosis for in your gynecologist's office. But we all know that when big changes happen in our life, it can make big changes in how we feel and how we think. And that can sometimes be the turning point that people need to help them back on their fertility path. Yeah, I mean, you know, like when I first started studying Chinese medicine and they said, um, something like 70% of all diseases are rooted in the emotions. And yeah. you know, it, it's so fascinating to know that. But when you're stuck in a situation, a health situation, it's kind of like, that, but that's the hardest part to deal <clears throat> with, right? Because yes. You'd rather be able to, 70% is because you're not taking the right fertility supplement. Oh, okay, well, I can resolve <laughs> that. Instead of like, <laughs> oh, I'm having big emotional blocks. Um, yeah. Fortunately, you know, there's, there's great tools to kind of um, deal with those emotions, you know, like emotional freedom technique, uh, tapping yep. is a great one and seeing a good therapist and, and, um, you know, a plug for acupuncture and Chinese herbs. I've been able to process major emotions, um, getting an acupuncture treatment and treating herbs, you know, depression and anxiety and just feelings of overwhelm. I mean, the medicine treats that as well. That's why it's so Yeah. Important. Yeah, it's true. Um, Um, Yeah, I agree. Sorry, go on. I was just, you know, and and then I wanted to just talk about real quick, because we always talk about this, but I think it can't be talked about enough because it's so easy to overlook is um, men and, you know, sperm quality. And and so are you treating uh, partners with Chinese herbs? How how compliant are they to to kind of come in and get treated? Because I know as a Chinese medicine practitioner, you're always treating the woman. Oh, when's your husband? Oh, I don't know. You know, kind of. That type of thing. <laughs> it's true. It can be really frustrating. And, and, and they're only 50% of the equation of having a baby. So it's not I, that. Big. I know. I know. I, on my website, I've got a, a very short video on male infertility, and it's basically yeah. giving the guys a kick in the pants. Yeah. Saying, you know, it's like you can't, you can't leave all of this up to your partner. And one of the things that distresses me is that 95% of people that get treated for fertility issues are male, uh, sorry, are female. Mm-hmm. But we know that 40% of fertility issues lie with the man. And so there's this enormous disparity between who gets the treatment and who needs the treatment. And so if women, if your guys are out there and they have problems with their sperm count, their motility, morphology or count, uh, I know through experience that those can be fixed 
and brought back to normal levels. And to be honest, it's not that difficult. Respectfully, fixing guys isn't that hard, Charlene. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. discovered this yourself. A lot, a Women, lot respectfully. more straightforward, right? Um, yeah, a lot more yeah. straightforward. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but I'm glad that's the case. I know, me uh, too. <laughs> You're not compliant people. I know, yeah. um, because. Oh gosh, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but it, it was about sperm quality in men. Because a lot of times, you know, if someone asks me a question and I say, but what about your partner? Oh, he's okay, I think. But we don't know that because a lot of times, I mean, I, I've when I've dug deeper, they say, oh yeah, my, my partner got his sperm checked. Yeah, he went to some lab that tests a bunch of different things. They gave him a phone call, things look okay. And what we know now is that 4% of sperm um, needs to look normal for you to be okay. And that's, yep. um, if you're trying to conceive naturally, that's um, not sufficient. And even if you're trying to do IVF, they can do some things with your sperm, but you can still have DNA issues with the sperm that Absolutely. no IVF clinic can fix. So um, that's the part that um, Chinese medicine and your own diet and lifestyle can do a lot to help with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think, I think people get, uh, you know, they get a, diagnosis like the dna fragmentation in the head of sperm and things like that and it's like oh it's a genetic thing and i think when when it comes to genetics nowadays people think that if there is a problem somewhere there in the genes or in the dna that that it can't be fixed it's like oh that's it and certainly you know chromosomal abnormalities in women with low amh levels and women who are more advanced in life you know in their 40s will see more chromosomal abnormalities and it's like, oh, there's nothing that can be done about these chromosomal issues. It's a genetic thing. It's a DNA thing. And I'd suggest, and it's, it's quite proven, that you know our genes change over time. How our sequencing, our, how our DNA sequencing will change over time depending upon the circumstances in our life. We know that you can change your genes. We know that our DNA will change over time to help us adapt to these circumstances. And so... I think the chromosomal issues that eggs and sperm have are, in fact, not more to do with an infertility issue than, in fact, it's a genetic certainty that, no, there's nothing to be done about this. And as we know that as we get happier and healthier, uh, our body tends to function a lot more effectively and we just feel better as well. You'll find that those egg quality, those chromosomal abnormalities can actually change and become less over time uh, because a person's happier and healthier and we know the genes can change <clears throat> and so uh, I, i'd suggest that you know for, for guys out there with issues chromosomal abnormalities dna fragmentation in the heads of their sperm that you know if, if they use these formulas that chinese medicine has to help improve their sperm count help improve their motility and women to help improve their egg quality that these issues can be addressed and they'll find less and less incidents of it as their as their egg and sperm health improves. I'm glad you um, I'm glad you brought that up. And 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 it's really interesting the whole study of epigenetics, you know, showing that mm. you know that's fascinating. And that's a whole other oh, conversation. But really it's just, you know, instead of us feeling like, oh, you know, my family is rife with cancer and things. I mean, everybody is touched by all these, um, I quote unquote, genetic chronic disease conditions, but that doesn't mean that you're destined to them. Um, so you know. true. Yes. Um, I think uh, somebody aptly described it in one of the Ted talks I was listening to said, if you're born to two morbidly obese parents, but you eat right and exercise, then it's unlikely you'll become morbidly obese. And even though they have a genetic predisposition to, this type of obesity, uh, if they look after themselves, they'll be fine. So they said that genetics is like the gun, but epigenetics is the bullet. And a lot of it, depending on what happens in our life and what we stick in our mouth and how we feel, will determine, in fact, what happens with our genes and how our DNA will sequence and help our body adapt to our environment. Wow. It's a, it's a really exciting time, all the things that we're learning about the human body, right? And I feel like we were only really brushing the surface. I mean, a, oh, a lot of, I agree. you know, a lot of the medical treatments that we're doing today to treat any kind of chronic disease or treat fertility, I mean, is it going to look anything the same 10 years, 15 years from now? We might look back and go, I can't believe that that's how we were treating that because... Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad. I know it was 100 years ago that 
modern Western doctors still had to taste their clients' urine. Uh, I'm glad we uh, see if there was something wrong. And that uh, that, that turned to, uh, to smoke, blow smoke in your butt or blow smoke <laughs> up your butt. I, I haven't heard I, that one. So. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a a term certainly that used here in Australia to blow yeah. smoke up your butt. And it basically means that someone's being really, really nice to you and saying a whole heap of really, really nice things to you to, to make you feel better oh, about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I thought that was a med- no, I'm sorry. I thought that was a medical treatment that they used to do. It is. Up this is, this is oh. the root of it, which is oh. that uh, 120 <laughs> years ago, the treatment for drowning was to get a bellows, you know, the, the pump they used to yeah. use to fan fires, and literally get nicotine and have lit nicotine and blow that into a person's rectum as a treatment for drowning. And that was, wow. you know, that was a little bit over 100 years ago. And so fortunately, as, as Chinese medicine practitioners, you know, the formula that we, we base Ovance on is nearly a 1,000 years old. And we've had a lot of advancements in that time. And I think we know, you know, when the Chinese tend to come, you know, leave China and, and settle in other nations, that they work very hard. Their kids tend to be the smartest kids. Uh, you know, the Chinese can be some of the smartest people at the high schools, at the universities, and they go on to take these these good quality jobs. And I, I think culturally, from Confucius times, who said when there was only one exam in all of China, it was like the public service exam. And depending on how well you did on it, determined what your station in life was going to be. So for two and a half thousand years, we've got the smartest people studying very, very hard, trying to get the best jobs that they can. And in China, to be a Chinese medicine practitioner is highly esteemed. It's one of the most esteemed jobs that you can get in China. And they're almost given this kind of awe of being magicians of the stuff that they can do. Uh, and we've had two and a half thousand years of the smartest people in China wanting the best jobs, which one of them was to be a Chinese medicine practitioner. And then they've tested this on a population, the largest extant population in the world, and over all this time, and they've managed to produce some really, really good stuff. And I think uh, while we're in, uh, you know, Western-dominated nations, which is fine, uh, we're beholden to the modern medical industry, uh, we're beholden to the pharmaceutical industry, and they're, they're the number one, they're the top dogs. But I think that when, uh, when people fail and they're looking for alternatives, I think Chinese medicines are very, can be very effective and when used correctly, can perform these miracles that some Chinese medicine doctors are uh, suggested that they have. They have these special powers, but it's not special powers. It's just very long period of time of trying to help people and getting the job right. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, you know, I don't want to say the, I don't want to say the word magic because then it makes it seem like it's not scientifically based. But sometimes it's, true. it's kind of magic, you know. You're like. Wow, it's if people knew. I mean, in, in a sense, the language in which they, in in which it's described with you know the different terminology and the herbs and things, it's so removed from kind of Western terminology that I think um, that's why it's not more mainstream. People don't yeah. get it. They feel like I don't know. It's just. Um, but people who experience it, they're like, it's incredible medicine. You know, it's just, it's incredible medicine. The thing that kind of, um, you know, makes me a little sad is people will reach out to me and say, oh, I'm going to acupuncture and, you know, I don't think it's working or whatever. I mean, that's, it's very little information. I, I don't think acupuncture can always compensate for a poor lifestyle and diet and things Absolutely. like that. And, and, and so sometimes people kind of go, and that's the whole Western mindset and, I, I don't blame people. I have it too. I wish there was like a magic pill. You know, I'd take that in a second, you know, but uh, totally. sometimes people go, well, I went to a few acupuncture treatments. I don't think it's working. Yeah. It, it's sort of a whole system of medicine. And, um, you know, if you're not willing to really like make the lifestyle changes and, and, you know, things like that, it, it, it will help, but might not do the whole job for you uh, I agree uh, and I think that's really important and something that people should understand I think almost every practitioner in the world will have people come into their office that have got nothing wrong with them they're perfect on paper and still can't fall pregnant and they've tried IVF and they've tried all different sorts of things and they still can't fall pregnant what does this say well, to me it says that the tests don't tell us everything there's a lot more to health vitality feeling good and falling pregnant 
than what you can get in a hormone essay. And so by looking, by knowing this, if, if in your heart you realize, and I wrote an article on my website called What All Women with Low AMH Have in Common. And it's something that I've discovered. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of women, they all seem to have this. You say, have you had some period in your life where you've just been exhausted, tired, run down, just not coping, great deals of stress? And yeah, a vast majority of them say, yes, uh, you know, this was happening around about this time, uh, uh, you know, in, in trying to fall pregnant. And in fact, getting a diagnosis that you have fertility issues, that can also have the same emotional drain. I think we were talking before about uh, how 70% of disease is rooted in emotional health. Uh, There's no science to back this up, but I'd suggest that a woman's emotional health makes up about 95% of her overall health. And so if a woman's happy in her heart and happy in her mind, then her body's going to follow suit. But if she's unhappy, as and this is so important for the, for the ladies, it's really important to be happy in your heart and to be happy in your mind if you want your body to be healthy itself. And I'd suggest that sometimes in the 50s, this is something I found absolutely fascinating. It's the longest running scientific study that we've got so far. It's called the Happiness Study. It's been done by uh, Harvard since uh, the early 20th century. And they wanted to find out what, in fact, made people happy. And so they tracked men. They've only recently included women in this study, but they they tracked men for a long period of time to find out what, in fact, made them happy. And one of the conclusions that they came to, which was quite surprising, is that the quality of your relationships in your 50s determines, can determine how well you age in your 60s and 70s. So if you're, if you're in a toxic relationship and people around you you really don't like, then evidence would suggest that you're not going to age terribly gracefully in your 60s and 70s. But even outside of diet and health and exercise, if you've got a really happy heart in your 50s and the people that you're around that you love and you're flourishing, then the likelihood of you aging gracefully in your 60s and 70s is significantly higher. And if that's not a plug for good emotional health and how it impacts your overall health, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So important. Um, how, how do we find out more about you and, and, and Ovants and, you know, and like reading about um, what the product is? And Sure. We've, uh, we've published everything. Basically, my entire brain is <laughs> laid out on that website, all the research uh, that I've done, everything that we've looked through, uh, all, the, all the studies that we've done and how we've achieved uh, that's all published there on the website. I'm pretty sure I've got a, a page on there. It's called Everything AMH, and it's a list of of everything that I think is relevant and pertinent and important for women uh, to know about low AMH levels and, and how it can be influenced and certainly what the most important that AMH levels required for natural pregnancy are very different from AMH levels required for uh, successful stimulation of the ovaries. I won't say successful pregnancies for IVF because that's different, but to get, um, to get the results that IVF specialists want women to get, they certainly need much higher AMH levels than what they need to fall pregnant naturally. And the reason why I can say this is because we see women get to, we get their test back. We say, yes, they've hit this certain level and natural pregnancy seems to occur after that. So we found that if women can get to 0.8 or one NGML that natural pregnancies seem to occur at that level and above, but to have a successful IVF stimulate cycle, um, a woman needs to be, I think, 1.96 NGML, and they're likely to get the correct stimulation from the IVF drugs. This doesn't mean that women need to have AMH bang on where the specialist says, we need you at 1.96 if you want to fall pregnant naturally. I'd suggest that that's not the case. Um, but also the results that we've got were from women that have been taking the formulas that we have. And so if we, if we did a study where women weren't treated at all with low AMH levels and then treated with the formulas that we have and then, and then just IVF on its own to see what kind of natural pregnancy rates there are, I'd suggest clearly that, uh, that you know, the women that don't receive any treatment would be the lowest, lowest group for successes. The women that did uh, IVF without any other treatment 
would still, realistically, it's between about 2 and 8% um, for IVF cycles, and that varies on how much their AMH levels are. Uh, versus people that are using the formulas, and certainly success rates are much higher than, uh, than what IVF is able, to, uh, is able to boast under those circumstances. Okay, great. And, well, uh, what's, mm. what's the URL of your website? I'll, I'll put them in the show notes, but just so you can... Sure, no worries. It's um, advanced... FertilitySolutions.com is the name of the website. And if you do uh, forward slash uh, everything AMH, I've put everything I know about everything to do with AMH levels. I even uh, I went and read all the studies behind all the supplements uh, to because, you know, it's like, all right, who, who else out here is helping egg quality and what are they taking? And I had a look at a lot of the naturopathic things that are being prescribed and went and read the actual science behind them. Uh, because I wanted to know, okay, if, if, this, if this advanced formula works, what else is helping women out there? And so I went in and researched all of that as well. Uh, in the blog section, there's articles on all the different supplements and the science behind them. I've wanted to make, I know most people can't sit down and read a scientific paper. It can boggle their brain. After I did my master's degree, I found that that was pretty much all I could read and everything else became really boring. <laughs> yeah, and, it's pretty um, dry stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's pretty dry stuff. And so I try and take the scientific information and moisten it up and make it readable. And so all the things that I've got on there are uh, heavily referenced and, and reference, you know, uh, the studies that have launched these products. And one of the things I found quite extraordinary is that science is really good at making more mice Oh, if mice have fertility issues, they can make those mice get back to fertile health and have more babies. Yeah, no problem. No worries. Yeah. Oh my God, pharmaceuticals are brilliant for the for the for the mice industry. <laughs> God bless them. But they don't seem to be terribly effective at improving pregnancy outcomes for women. And this is the thing that blew me away. And I think the biggest challenge we've got is that the mouse model that we use for medicine is really effective in many circumstances. But when it comes to fertility. The average mouse can have between four and 14 pups and grow them in three weeks and do that five to 10 times a year. A mouse can have 120 other mice in a year. A woman, respectfully, baby has one every two years. And so we've got this spectacular breeding animal. And sure, when we tweak it, yep, it goes back to breeding spectacularly again. But I don't, I don't think the mouse model uh, mapping the mouse model onto um, females fertility is, is an accurate thing. We need to find something that would breed a lot slower and then use these tests on these other on these other animals. And I really don't promote animal testing at all. Uh, so please, please don't interpret it like that, but this is the way that science is done nowadays. And if they found something that was a little more simple, chimpanzees, apes, and uh, I, uh, I, I, feel, I actually feel quite awful suggesting that we should go test these things on animals. Um, but certainly if there was a way, if we had something that was more comparable to how humans are and use these supplements and treatments on these animals to see what differences they would there, I think we're going to get far more realistic outcomes mm. than the promises that the, mice mo the mouse model has done for women in the field of supplementation. That's such a good point. Yeah, we are not mice, and so that's not a good comparison. Um, you know, I just wanted to, because I, uh, oh gosh, sorry. It's like every podcast I have my dog do something. I stop her, she barks. She likes the limelight, hey? Oh my gosh. Um, well, one thing I was going to bring up is you said that there was a commonality between um, so many of the women that have low AMH, um, and because people always kind of chalk it up to an age thing, but you were saying yep. about going through a period of exhaustion. Um, do you categorize that as what they call adrenal um, fatigue or adrenal exhaustion? Would that be yep. kind of the, the term used? Because that's what, you know, some people call it like the 21st century syndrome. That many yeah, of us that's have. fair enough. I've experienced it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty I, crazy. I remember years ago a woman coming to me and she said, I've got adrenal fatigue. And she had a, a checklist of 50 different things and she'd ticked 48 of those different things and, uh, and I went through and had a look and I agreed with only one of them. Um, even though she certainly had issues, I think all the symptoms and signs associated with adrenal fatigue don't necessarily 
if you've got them, clearly you've got adrenal fatigue, but there are people that are stressed out that, that, that where the cortisol from the adrenal gland sitting on top of the kidneys uh, is blocking oxytocin. The women can't feel love. When you can't feel love, all you feel is that stress of the cortisol in your system, uh, which messes up your entire body. Mm. You know, it, it's wonderful. Those stress hormones are great. You know, back in the day, you know, we're found a cave and we know that saber-toothed tigers lived in there, we need to stay on edge. So if the tigers come back home, we can be up and defend ourselves or run away. But nowadays, we don't have those stresses. You know, we're worried about, oh, does my boss think I'm doing a good job at work? Or oh, how am I going to pay for the service on my car? Which are no fight or flight kind of um, responses, but the mechanisms inside our body that respond to these things are still the same. And so what you're saying, this adrenal fatigue, this 21st century illness, is, uh, it, it's very real. It's, it's very, very real. And I think we all feel stress. We all know what it feels like. But is it valid? Does the stress that we feel in the circumstances that we have truly warrant how it is we feel? And I'd suggest that a lot of it, no. And we get caught up in our heads and uh, caught up in our lives and all of a sudden... Life happens to us, how we deal with it will determine how we feel. You know, if something bad happens, but you've got great coping mechanisms, you can be okay. If something bad happens, you've got terrible coping mechanisms, then it can really do your head in, make your life a misery. And before you know it, you've got no energy, you're lying around the house and you're feeling terrible and all these illnesses come in. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for me, I think the root of autoimmune diseases are based in how, how it is we feel. I think a good example is uh, low thyroid, which is a very common problem. And I've asked every single person I've ever treated with low thyroid, were you extremely stressed out around about the time when you got the diagnosis? And all of them, they're like, oh, my life was a mess. Things were so, so difficult. And so they go to the doctor, they get a blood test, and they're like, oh, you've got low thyroid. Great. Well, we can give you this medication that you'll have to take for the rest of your life, but it will fix your thyroid. I'd suggest that, yes, their thyroid levels were low, but what they needed to be treated for was stress. What they needed to be treated for was lifestyle. It's like, fix what's going on in your life, fix what's going on in your heart, and then your body will start working properly again. Every time something goes wrong, you go in and take another pill for it, that's what you're going to end up doing, taking more and more pills, and the, the doctors and the surgeons are waiting for you because you don't fix the very the, the thing that's the problem, like I'm in a toxic relationship or I hate my job or I live right next to a factory and I can't get any sleep. They're, they're big things. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, I mean, maybe we can have a part a part two on that because that's a whole other conversation that the, the thyroid and adrenal mm. relationship are, are quite complex. And I mean, one thing I was, um, I, I was interviewing a thyroid specialist and, and I said, well, you know, the thyroid medication isn't, it, you know, some people think of it as sort of a Band-Aid and he goes, yeah, but sometimes you need to Band-Aid the thing while you're dealing with the other thing, you know, like so. Absolutely. Because um, I agree, everyone that I've ever treated with thyroid, they do, they have a deep emotional stuff kind of going on yeah. in, in yeah. what came first well maybe the emotional stuff but it, it gets real complex and crazy and it can take over your life and make you feel like you want to die um and um western medicine has been pretty mediocre at, at really dealing with it but um you know so he was saying yeah you know the thyroid medication it can be it could just take the stress off the thyroid while you deal with some root issues and you don't necessarily well, that, want it for a life that'd be nice but this yeah. and i think this is a really important thing that that people should know when using hormone therapy to assist mm -hmm. with their problems is that the body works as you know charlene it works on homeostasis natural mm -hmm. balance mm -hmm. and so if the thyroid is low for whatever reason the body actually thinks that's natural i'd suggest it drops the thyroid drops thyroid levels to slow people down it's like buddy you are so out of balance in your life slow down sit down there's that wonderful saying uh, you should meditate for 20 minutes every day unless you are too busy and then you should meditate for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's my favourite my favorite line. And I think when people get these low thyroid issues, it's like, hey, this is autoimmune. This is like the thing that has looked after you. It's your closest, best friend. Your immunity and your immune system will protect you throughout your entire life. And all of a sudden, 
it turns around and starts attacking itself. This is a, a precisely a life out of balance. Things are out of balance. And if you can bring those back right, if you can find what's in your heart and know what it is that makes you happy and live towards that, then you can reverse these issues. And I think sometimes, you know, when we use, you know, psychiatric medications, you know, antidepressants, things like that, it's, you're right, it does help us cope in the short term, but it also can pause our maturity, pause our, and certainly not, uh, not feel the pressures of our life so much and either make us ignore them, which is what people who turn to drugs uh, can do, just ignore their problems and it's great. That's their coping mechanism. Uh, other people who don't use that, they might use alcohol or you know, talk to their friends or have a good time. Um, but the point that I wanted to get to is that when you use hormones, say like you use your uh, thyroxine to help with the thyroid gland, the body stops producing its own TSH, its own thyroid-stimulating hormone. And so once you use thyroxine, your body stops making its own thyroid, thyrox, uh, own thyroid hormones and it works on what we call a negative feedback system. So the more hormones you add to your body, the less hormones your body will produce. And I think this is a challenge, is that when women are using the contraceptive pill for so long, the body switches off. It's like, I haven't had to do this for the last 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, you want me to get back to work and do everything the way it normally did? And for many women, it does, which is wonderful, and I'm really glad that that's the case. But you and I will both see the people that it doesn't happen for and all of a sudden they've been adding hormones to their body for all this time and their body has down-regulated down its own natural hormone production and then when you stop it uh, you know it doesn't go back to normal and I think if if you're using hormone therapy and you can get the job done in a short period of time like within a couple of months that's great and your body will take this boost of hormones and it'll add to it and help it thrive more effectively but if after a few months you haven't got the results, so you haven't got the, the pregnancy, then it seems that the body, once you stop taking those, there's this lull and, of hormone production and it takes some time for the body to get back to its normal levels. And if, in fact, those levels were low in the first place and then you've added hormones, hormones to it, which bumps it up temporarily, then once you stop using that therapy, the hormone levels can uh, be even lower after that. And so there's a bit of a double-edged sword uh, with the hormone therapy, short-term, if you get great short-term results, wonderful, but I'd suggest long-term impact of hormone therapy shows an even stronger down-regulation of hormone production in a person's body and to bring that, and it makes it even harder to fix it hmm. uh, under those circumstances. Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting topic and, and, and we're going to have to wrap up in a second, but, um, sure. you know, like, I'm however old I am now, 48, but like 10 years ago when I started looking at hormone replacement therapy with biocompatibles, I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to prop up my hormones like I'm 20 something years old and solve, solve all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a decade later of really looking into it, you're like, oh, that's probably not going to be the best solution. Darn it. It's I that <laughs> Darn was my fountain of youth. It's like, oh, of uh, course, anything that sounds too good to be true, there's a, it's a lot more complex than that. Even though, you know, some you're like, you know, I mean, I, I know some people go, oh, Suzanne Summer, she's not a doctor, she's an actress, but she did spend a lot of time researching it. And you're like, well, she's almost 70 years old. And she said she feels like a 20 year old. But, um, but, but there's a dark side to hormone replacement therapy, not HRT yes. even, but the, the biocompatible um, stuff. I agree. I agree. I'd suggest if you want a fountain of youth, yoga. Yeah. Uh, reg regular and consistent yoga practice would have to be one of the single most, probably the single most smartest thing you could do as a physical exercise for your body. And if you're thinking, oh, I used to love yoga. Maybe I should go back to it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, so that's that's gonna that's that's my secret. That's my secret to my fountain of youth. Okay, um, uh, yeah, and you look like you, you're <laughs> glowing because because I'm thinking um, I want to do a plug for Kundalini yoga because even sure. if you're like, but I'm so inflexible. I mean, Kundalini yoga you could do it in a chair, and it's all about yeah. breath work and you know and um, people who do Kundalini yoga they glow and they don't they're they look 20 years younger and think, yes, you know, as far yes, as I'd suggest um, I'm 46 now, but I'm, I'm 46 now, but I feel like I did in my, in my twenties. I had so much energy, so much vitality. Flexibility is great. 
Uh, and so yeah, yeah, I think, that's awesome. I think like you, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great plug. And um, yeah, if, if anything, go do yoga. Yeah, you won't look weird, <laughs> and you won't look weird after doing Botox for decades. Plus, plus Botox and trying to conceive do not mix. Like, I mean, one thing, yeah, <laughs> doctors don't do Botox if you're yet. pregnant. I say don't yeah. do Botox if you're trying to get pregnant either. Or fillers <laughs> or I mean, Darlene, what's your, what's your I mean, thought patterns? What's your foundation on that one? On the Botox and fillers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Go on. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, if you want to, if you're, if you're trying to see, I mean, if you're trying to conceive, I don't, don't do those because Botox and the fillers, they both have the Marisol in them. It's, it, it's okay. a, you know, it's mercury. It's, it's yep. used as an additive so that those have shelf life. They don't belong in mm -hmm. your body. Yes. Um, Agreed. I think in Chinese medicine, all the energy meridians they start or end in your face. You're, you're kind of changing that. They, they, they're doing studies now of women who've had Botox for like five, 10 years that they don't even have their full emotional access to their full emotional range anymore. Because wow. their face can't express that. Um, they're saying definitely do not do those things when you're pregnant, but the preconception period, which is 120 days where the egg is maturing into the egg, you're going to ovulate. I mean, that's a critical time period. Don't put those toxins in. You're, Fair enough. That's, that's yeah. very sound advice. Thank and, you. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll add that into my repertoire. I hadn't yeah, come across yeah. that, but thank you very much. I mean, there's some women who look great with it, but I think after doing it for yeah. so long, I mean, you know, it alters the face a lot and you kind of freeze. I mean, it's more the glow of you and your aura that makes you young, right? It's not just about yes. lack of wrinkles. Um, <laughs> but you know, yes, it's true. I've, I've definitely, yeah, you're like, should I do that? And then just, just Google Botox made me sick and read about all the stories around the world of women who go, oh. I, I, I can't believe I did this to myself, you know, or feel wow. sick because wow. okay. I'll, I'll jump on and yeah. jump on and check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Before you, you were about to have an appointment, weren't you Dr. Scott? <laughs> now you're going to, you're going to rethink that. And I think how people, Chinese people. medicine, gua sha and cupping and Chinese yep. um, and acupuncture on the face, it's crazy. It works so well. It's not like Botox, but it brings out the vitality and it, and it, and it releases that crystallized stress emotion of the face, which I think that's what creates youth. So, um, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I think, was it one of those things, you know, people, uh, they say, uh, oh, I went away on holidays and I felt pregnant. Or, uh, you know, people have a whole host of different problems. This is something that I ask a lot of people. If they've got you know, all different sorts of things going wrong, they say, when you go away on holidays, do you still feel the same way? Do you still have all of these symptoms? Mm -hmm. And if a person says no, then we know it's their life. It's your life that's mm -hmm. causing the problem. You can go away on holidays and 50% of your symptoms go away. It's because you've got a problem in your life. And if you change that, then you'll start going better. And so... You know, great, I have went away. Oh, we've been trying to fall pregnant for three years. We went on a three-week holiday and fell pregnant. Why? People are relaxed. You know, their life is different. They've made it. It's a simple change. But that's such a common story, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Go so to yoga, go on say, holiday. Let's say yoga because, let's say, let's go go back to yoga. There's so much, like, there's such great yoga videos and kundalini breathwork videos on YouTube. Yep. It's free. Access those because holidays, what? In America, you do holidays two weeks a year, and um, sometimes you drink a lot and eat. So, um, yeah, that can switch you. But um, if you do a, a practice of meditation or whatever, that can last yeah. um, long term. And um, I, I just noticed, yeah, as you get older, these holidays, you get back, you're all, was I even on vacation? The, the relaxation yeah. lasts so short. You're like, God, you know, for the amount of money you spend and whatever you think it, it – when you were younger, they laugh, you were like, I feel great from that for a couple months after. And now it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Totally. It's funny. It's like people are still sitting at work. They know they're about to go on holidays. Yeah. Like three days before they go on holidays and they're already on holidays and they're sitting at work just passing the time. And then while you're on holidays and you know you've got to go back to work in three days' time, you're sitting there feeling like you're already back at work. Yeah. It's like be, being present where we're at. Uh, is really difficult, and, you know. Our mind can put us in all different sorts of places, regardless mm -hmm. of where we are. I, I think um, a very long uh, mental health has probably become the biggest focus 
uh, in it, uh, certainly one of my big, really big focuses uh, in practice and in life, I realise you get people with terminal problems, terminal conditions, who've got a great outlook. And in fact, their heart is happy and healthy. And there are other people that have got nothing really wrong with them and they're miserable. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't add up. And might as well, you know, get your mental state ready because when you have a child, man, you are yeah. going for a, a wild ride. <laughs> it's are, true. Yeah, it's, it's true. Kind of zen. Well, and one, one thing that, uh, you know, I'll end it with is uh, Eckhart Tolle, the power of now, you know, it's like, how do you live in the now? You know, it's kind of that perpetual question, but he says, mm. um, if you're not feeling anything but at peace, you're not in the now. And, and that's a great kind of reminder for me. I'm like, gosh, I'm feeling, ink. oh, okay, get back to that present moment because you're thinking about yeah. some future event that hasn't happened or you're worried about the past that's over. Okay, get back into this. So it's a daily reminder, right? All right. Perfect. You know God bless you. You are awesome. That was a great <laughs> interview. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlene. Yeah, and I'll reach uh, out to you. It's been a real pleasure. To you. Okay, keep keep. Keep glowing and doing your yoga, and thanks for inspiring people. Appreciate it. That's uh, my real pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on, Charlie. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step, all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.